0: This is God's word to you because he loves you. I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already... You have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we've become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the uh, challenge of uh, this passage and uh, of your word, that your word is always unsettling and challenging to us, and yet while your word gives us challenge, it also gives us uh, the grace, the promises, um, the hope uh, for us to face those challenges, and that we might um, be transformed and conformed uh, into the image of Christ. We, I pray that you would use your word now to transform us, to change our hearts, to draw us to you, And so we ask for your spirit now to guide us into all truth as we study your word, that your word may study us as well. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, over the last three weeks, we've been kind of in this ending part of 1 Corinthians, we've been in kind of a mini-series where two weeks ago, we talked about the topic of self-deception, Last week we talked about the topic of self-forgetfulness and this week we're talking about the topic of self-denial. So they're all kind of three things that kind of are alike and that they all sound like learning to kind of ignore ourselves. But obviously they're very different, right? Because self-deception means we're ignoring ourselves because we're blind to flaws that we have and character flaws that are happening to us that we're not aware of and not dealing with and facing. And yet, uh, what we looked at last week is that you would think that because self-deception is such a problem for us, you would think that means that healthy life looks like we're taking long, hard looks at us and being very introspective and thinking a lot about what's happening in our hearts. But actually we looked at it last week and it says a healthy Life with God doesn't look like looking at ourselves and analyzing our souls all the time. It looks like opening our eyes to who God is and, and to uh, the beauties of his promises and the gospel, Looking at beholding Christ, beholding his world, beholding people, and opening our eyes and not looking inward, but looking outward. But this week, what we're going to look at is how the gift of self-forgetfulness actually leads us one step further into the freedom of self-denial that um, the freedom to actually deny ourselves our deepest desires for the sake of God and for the sake of others. And, uh, you know, this... This morning, we're, uh, this passage that we're looking at is one of Paul's most emotional kind of appeals in all of his letters to any of the churches. You know, Paul's writing to a church that he planted. Uh, he was their pastor for a year and a half, and he's writing an emotional appeal to them about his ministry. You know, they've kind of turned away from him, and they're being critical of him. And what he says, the thing he says that marks his uh, whole ministry, the thing, his life among them, was the character of Christ, the character of the cross, of sacrificial love. Of self-denial, he said, "This is how I lived among you: is self-denial." And he gives us this beautiful account that we just read of, of his uh, of his self-denial, and he says that this is the defining mark of being a Christian: that when God's life is formed in us, it is it, we we learn that the, the thing that becomes natural for us, the thing that we the vision that we have for our life is a life of self-denial, which is uh, tremendously challenging to us. I mean, you, maybe you feel that just as I say that, but in our culture. To deny myself my deepest desires is, is insane to our culture. Actually, you know, there's a new uh, uh, coffee sleeve. You know at Starbucks when you get the little sleeve on the coffee there, um, the, the newest sleeve has a quote on it uh, from Oprah that says, the only courage you ever need is the courage to live the life you want. That's what our that's what our world says. Is this is the most courageous, the most your life alive means to have the courage to pursue your deepest desires. And actually, what's incredibly odd is that the Bible says the exact opposite thing: that an abundant, joyful life that is full of of joy, vigor, meaning, uh, being who you were meant to be is not a life of fulfilling all your desires, but uh, but denying all your desires, turning away from them. <laughs> It's actually the exact opposite in that actually the Bible says you will have joy and satisfaction and fulfillment only in that. And actually I saw I was on Facebook and someone had taken one of these sleeves and crossed off one of the words and they changed it. So it says the only courage you ever need is the courage to sacrifice the life that you want. (laughs) To sacrifice, to take the life, to take my desires and to sacrifice them for God and for others. This is, the, this is a call that God has for each of us as Christians. And uh, it's, I'll just tell you, not only does our whole culture, the very air we breathe, push against that, but our very bodies, our desires, our soul, everything about us push resist this. So it's a major challenge to us as Christians. So, um, so we're going to uh, be talking this morning about self-denial. And in particular, I want to highlight these four points from this passage. That first, self-denial is the character of life that God intends for all Christians. A life of self-denial is... God thinks it's realistic that this would be true for all Christians. Not just the guy who sells everything and goes to be a missionary in India or something like that. Not just that, but but that was the mark of all of us in our life here in Bellingham, in our our families, in our work, in everything that we do, that that would mark us. That's what God intends for us. But second, that self-denial begins with submission to the Word of God. Third, self-denial is always... For the good of others, which is an important point. And then lastly, self-denial is where you meet Jesus. If you want to know Christ, it is only in a life of self-denial. This the only place that you will know him, you'll experience. And that's why there's abundant joy, is because he's there. And that's why there is vitality. There is My life has meaning and purpose. It is A vision of a good life is because in self-denial, that's where Jesus is. Okay, So this, this is what we're talking about this morning. So the first point is this. Self-denial is the character of life God intends for all Christians. Now, this passage I just read to you from uh, 1 Corinthians 4, it's actually the end of the first section of 1 Corinthians. We looked at it, and uh, I know that if you're following along in a Bible, we didn't quite read to chapter 5. I actually think that the break happens where we left off reading in verse 16 there, and then the end of chapter 4 actually goes to chapter 5. And so the whole beginning to... First Corinthians, is that first, the, the church in Corinth is a church that's fighting with each other. You know, they have all these people who are rich and they're well-educated. Or they're born into a good family and they're kind of looking down on the other people who, who don't have quite the status they do. And there's all this infighting and party spirit going on. And Paul is saying, how, how is this congregation going to actually love each other and be a family and brothers and sisters to one another? And so his answer is, he says, it's the cross, Right. You've got to remember that Jesus died for you and that you need to learn to die for each other. That's the only way you can live together. Is that, And that's why he says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That, that defined my theology, but also defined my life with you. Is that Jesus died for me, so I'm going to die for you. Right? His life for mine, so my life for yours. And so, at the end of all this, Paul even talks about his own life and how his life was marked by the cross. And then this is these are his closing words in this passage I just read. Look at verse 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I am your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And then listen to this. I urge you then, be imitators of me. So this whole description that he has of a life of self-sacrifice, where he says, you guys are rich, and I'm poor, and you're strong, and I'm weak, and you're wise, and I'm a fool, and all these things where he's putting them above him. He says, that, that marked my life? That should be the life of, mark the life of all Christians. That's the only way that we can live together in peace and in love. It's the only way. And, um, but one of the things that's important to know about a life of self-denial does not mean that God wants you to have a miserable life. It's not, he's not saying righteous people have miserable lives and so you just need to embrace and suck it up and take your miserable life. That's actually not at all what, what the Bible is saying. Um, what the Bible is saying is that we all have a vision of what the good life is. Right? You have a vision. You have things in your mind. When you imagine like my life is going well. There's certain things that you picture and that you long for, right? And maybe there's a house, maybe there's a certain job, maybe there's certain relationships, maybe your family's in a certain place. And you say, this is what the good life is, this is the thing I'm longing for. And what the Bible is saying is actually um, the vision of a good life that is full of abundant joy are not those things. But it is life with Christ, and it is a life of self-denial. And when you embrace this, you'll actually have true joy. It's totally paradoxical. And and so when I say that this is the Bible's vision of a good life, I don't just mean that it's a good moral life, like you're going to be a good person if you deny it yourself. No, I mean it's a vision of the good life. The happy life is a life of denying myself things for the sake of others and for the sake of God. You will find abundant joy. Jesus says this in multiple places, that there is abundant life and joy in that life. And, um, and so one of the things that we have to realize is That for the people who do live that way, deny themselves things for the sake of others, it's not because they think this is what righteous people do. It's because they've been captured by the fact that Jesus, God himself, his very life, you know, what is the best life? I mean, it's Jesus' life. I mean, he is eternal life. He is the very creator of all things. You know, it says, uh, it says in Hebrews, uh, in uh, quoting Psalm 45, that he was anointed with the oil of gladness more than all of his companions. He had abundant joy, and it looked like him dying for the world. I mean, do we realize that? Do we have a vision of, of, of life that way? And so the people who have life-giving lives where they give their life for the sake of others... Our people have been captured by the character of Jesus. They see that He has sacrificed for them, and they want to love in that way. That is uh, that is more valuable than anything in the world is to be able to love like Jesus, to be loved by Him, and then to love the way that He loves. That's it's more. That's the vision. That it's more, worth more than houses. It's worth more than a career. It's it's worth more than a relationship or a family. Uh, it's worth more than money. It's worth more than possessions. It's that's the thing that that I want more than anything. And I'll tell you, it's interesting, um, I put a quote on page 3 of your bulletin by a guy named Eric Fromm, who, I, I don't know Eric Fromm, he's a, a, apparently a well-known psychologist from the middle of the 20th century, where he's talking about the actual experience of giving things away, losing things for the sake of others, serving others, and um, he describes how he gives us a picture of why is self-denial actually supreme joy? Why is it an actual experience of supreme joy? It's very interesting. What he says? Giving is the highest expression of potency. So of power, a life that is powerful, alive, poor, overflowing potency. Giving is the highest expression of that. In the very act of giving. I experience my strength, my wealth, my power. You don't know strength that you have or power or joy that you have. You don't, ha- you don't know that you have it until you've given it away. You don't know it yet. The experience of heightened vitality fills me with joy. So when you give yourself away and you find out, wow, I have abundant resources because I'm going to be able to give myself away, you feel this exhilaration and joy. I experience myself as overflowing, spending, alive, hence as joyous. Giving is more joyous than receiving, not because it is deprivation, but because in the act of giving lies the expression of my aliveness. So the fact, if you're a Christian, you have Christ in you. You have the Holy Spirit in you. He's living inside of you. And you don't know that until you give your life away. And then you realize, you know, gosh, I'm going to sacrifice this thing. There's so much risk in it. You know, for example, let's say, uh, you know, you're in a conflict with someone. And they've hurt you and they've wronged you. And you decide, you know what, I'm not going to name any of the things that they did wrong to me. I'm going to only name the things I've done wrong to them. Okay? I'm giving up my rights to name the wrongs they've done to me. And I'm going to just name my wrongs. So that's self-denial, right? And I enter into that, and I find that actually I'm free to confess. I have so much life. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up there. And maybe he gives us reconciliation. Or maybe he gives us assurance of his love. Or maybe he gives us the right words to approach someone. And all of a sudden, it wasn't until I did the self-denial that I knew that I realized Christ is in me. Christ is with me. And so it's in self-denial we realize the life that we have. So if we resist it, we don't experience the actual joy that we have in Christ. I mean, that is incredibly profound. And so what that means is that Oprah's life in her, you know, of of getting all the things that you desire, seeking after all the things that you desire, is not a place of abundant, overflowing life. That's a life of emptiness where I need to grab because I feel so empty. I need to grab and I feel weak. And so I need to grab other things. I need more, more, more. It, the life of abundance is one that's overflowing and giving and open handed and generous. That, that's the life that God intends for us. And what, what Paul is saying and what Jesus says is this is what the, the character of life that God intends for all Christians. That's what he wants to give to us when he saved us. That's what he wants to give us. And uh, uh, Jesus, of course, says this, and uh, Daniel quoted this in the confession this morning. Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is a promise. That in denying yourself, you will find life in Jesus. You will find vitality. You will find abundant joy. Okay, it's a promise. It's amazing, paradoxical. So the question is, how does that happen? How do I become that kind of person that's like, wow, deny myself, deny my desires? You know, do the opposite of what Oprah said, not you know, seek after everything that I want, but to sacrifice everything? How do I do that? So a few things we need to know about self-denial, and this is our second point, is that self-denial begins with submission to the word of God. Self-denial, the process of self-denial begins with a submission of submitting my will to God's will in his word. And uh, you, hear, you see this in verse 6. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one one against another. What Paul says, part of the reason that the Corinthians are having problems is because they have placed themselves above the word of God. They've either added things to the Word of God or they've ignored things in the Word of God, but they say, instead of me sitting under the Word of God and having a heart disposition where the Word of God uh, rules me, this is God is my king and he's given me instructions and I I don't tell the Bible the things I I want to accept or don't want to accept, I receive it and I sit under it and I submit to it, I submit to the will of God. And this is the beginning of self-denial, is that I don't stand over the text, but it stands over me. It is the covenant document to guide my life. Now, I I need to make an aside here that, you know, there's actually two different ways to go beyond what is written, as Paul says, or, you know, to kind of ignore the Bible, right? There's kind of an irreligious way. That's what most of us think about. There's people who are not Christians who don't believe in the Bible, and they, so they ignore it. They don't obey what it says. I don't even believe it, right? So that's kind of an irreligious way to go beyond what is written, and I'm going to follow my own ideas instead of the Bible, but actually, when the Bible talks about this kind of thing, much more, there's a religious way to go beyond what is written. Where we have a desire to add things to the Bible. And uh, because we want to be good, righteous people, and we're going to, you know, the Bible doesn't quite have enough rules in it. Let's, I can make up some, some more. that There are rules that I'm pretty confident I could follow so I could feel good about myself. But I'm going to add rules. And so there's a religious way uh, to add, add things to the text. And actually, the people... ...who added instruction and commandments to the Bible so that it became burdensome. You know, First John says that the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. The commandments of men are burdensome. And so when the Bible becomes burdensome, it's from religious people adding laws and things to the scriptures... ...and it becomes a burden... And those are the people that Jesus had the most severe words for. And he says, you are turning away from God. You are, de- you, you are not denying yourself. And so what we actually think, when we think of self-denial, what we often think of religious people, right, who they, don't, they deny themselves pleasures and, uh, you know, they have a very simple life. And we think, well, this is, very, this is a very pious person. They're very religious because of self-denial. But it turns out that actually... You could be thinking you're doing self-denial by f- obeying a lot of rules that God never gave us, and you're actually indulging yourself because it's making you feel good about that. I'm such a pious person, and I'm such, a, and I follow all these rules. And actually, that's self-serving. It's not self-denial. It's the opposite of self-denial. It's self-indulgent. And uh, and so, Paul, and this was, of course, the Pharisees. This was their their classic mistake. Was they they piled on, rules upon rules, and added commandments to the word of God, and they were avoiding their own hearts. But what self-denial looks like is a, a simple submission to God's will as it's revealed in the word of God. And this is not burdensome. This is life and abundant joy. And we trust him. And it's in trust that we submit ourselves to this, okay? And so what we do is we don't use God's word to serve our purposes. The, God's word uses us to serve God's purposes, Okay? And so the beginning of how do okay, how do I have a life of self denial? There's a heart disposition of surrender and submission to the things that God has instructed to me. And so that has to be a question. Do I trust God enough to do that? That's a question for each one of us. Do I trust in God's goodness? That He is good enough, that the things He says to me are abundant joy in life? Do I trust Him? And that's really at the heart of, of the beginning of self-denial. But the second thing is this, or actually it's the third. So self-denial is something God intends for all Christians. And second, it begins by a, an act, a heart disposition of submission to God's word. But the third thing is this, is that self-denial is always for the good of others. Self-denial is always for the good of others. And, um, you know, this is kind of, Paul's climax at the end of these first four chapters of 1 Corinthians, where he's trying to get this congregation to love one another. And he just has this strong emotional appeal. And this is what he says in verse 8. He's talking to the Corinthians. He says, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. Now listen to what Paul's saying. He's saying that here's this church that's selfish and everyone's kind of fighting with each other and they're stabbing each other in the back and they're gossiping and there's all this infighting going on and you know this kind of group you don't want to be a part of and Paul's saying he's giving this whole thing about look at my life among you. I sacrificed and I served you. I made myself lower than you. You know you guys are wise and I'm, I'm a fool and I became your servant and he's not saying to them gosh you know you guys I served you. Why don't and trying to shame them and saying, you know, you, sh- you are ungrateful people for how much I served you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that I did all these things because I want good for you. And he, he says, listen, you're, you guys are reigning, you're rich, and I want you to be rich. I want you to have a bunch of things that, that I might share in it with you. And his point is that self denial, when it becomes an end in and of itself, that's what, that's what uh, religious self-denial looks like, is, is I'm going to deny myself, I'm going to suffer just for the sake of, because that's what pious people do. It always becomes deadly. But self-denial, according to the Bible, is always intended to be I deny myself for the good of others, for the glory of God and for the good of others. And uh, C.S. Lewis, one of his most famous writings was actually a sermon he gave uh, called The Weight of Glory. And in the opening of that sermon, this is this is kind of his opening comments, he says, If you asked 20 good men today what they thought the highest of the virtues, 19 of them would reply, unselfishness. They would say unselfishness is the most virtuous thing you can do. But if you had asked almost any of the great Christians of old, they would have replied, love. You see what has happened. A negative term, unselfishness, has been substituted for a positive which was love the the negative idea of unselfishness carries with it the suggestion not primarily of securing good things for others but of going without them ourselves as if our abstinence and not their happiness was the important point see that's profound he's talking about self denial for its own for its own end um I do not think this is the Christian virtue of love. The New Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. And this is actually a big thing in 1 Corinthians. Later in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, Paul's going to have a discussion about their worship services where when they come together like this, and one of the things the Corinthians did, they did a lot of speaking in tongues. So you'd come into their worship service and everyone's saying all these things and you have no idea what they're talking about. They're having these experiences of ecstasy and mysticism with God. And if you were outsider, you know, and you're new to the church, Paul was saying people are coming in and they think you're nuts and they don't know what you're talking about. And what he says is you're doing all these religious things and these religious experiences, but they're for you. And so he says you shouldn't in your worship service don't focus on speaking in tongues you should focus on prophecy which is just a clear plain word from the Lord that everyone understands speaking clear clear language because then when a non-Christian comes in the secrets of their hearts are revealed and they fall down and say among you and say God is really among you. And when you speak a clear word see speaking in tongues is to see, serve yourself but to speak a word of prophecy was to build up other people. And so self-denial should always be for the sake of other people. And, um, you know, I, uh, when I was in St. Louis, I maybe shared this story with you. Uh, when we were living in St. Louis, I met a guy at a coffee shop there who was a Buddhist and got talking with him. I think I saw him there kind of regularly and we had a number of conversations about the Bible and God and Buddhism and all kinds of things. And really sweet guy, very open-minded, loved to talk, and I, I love talking with him. And, and so one time he, he came over for dinner, and uh, sh- my wife Shannon is a really great cook, and just makes delicious food, and he came over, and we were actually made some steaks, and we had these beautiful steaks, a nice salad, and potatoes and a glass of wine. And, uh, and he came over, and he said, you know, I have to tell you, one of the hardest things for me about being a Buddhist is I really love food. And, um, and he was saying that one of the things he noticed about the difference between his friends who were Christians and the friends who were Buddhists is when he goes over to his Buddhist, you know, friend's house and he has dinner. It's always just rice and beans and, you know, with no butter on it or anything. It's just all real plain. He's I was like, oh man, this is... And then I go over to my Christian friend's house and there's all this delicious food and it's so good. And what he's touching on is that what he's saying about his Buddhist friends is that their form of self-denial is actually for them. It's not serving other people. It's saying, I'm going to suffer, and if you're around me in my sphere, you're going to suffer too. Everyone's having rice and beans, all right? That's not what self-denial is for. Self-denial is in order to bless others. It's because I want others to have good things, and because I have such an abundance of life, and I want you to be blessed. I want you to have joy. It's so Self-denial is not an end in and of itself. But self-denial is always for the good of others. And why is that? Well, I mean, why is self-denial the center of the Christian life? Why do we say that that should mark every Christian? It's because that was the center of Jesus' life. And why did Jesus come and suffer? Did he come and suffer because that's what righteous people do? Well, righteous people come and suffer, so Jesus is going to come, he's going to be pious and die on a cross. That's not why he died on the cross. He died on the cross to wash away our sins, to give us eternal life, to reconcile us to God because he wants life with us, and so that he could conquer death and give us eternal life. It was out of love that he denied himself. So self-denial should never exist by itself, and when it exists by itself, it becomes deadly. But when it is for the sake of love for God and for others, it becomes the source in the center of an abundant life. Okay? And so this leads to the last point that we see in this text about self-denial is that, just to review these, self-denial is, is God's vision. God intends to be the character of all Christians is a mark of, marked by self-denial. And it comes by first submitting ourselves to the will of God as revealed in the Word and, and realizing that self-denial is never an end in, of itself but always to love others, to give to others, to bless others. But lastly, self-denial is where you meet Jesus. If you want to know Jesus, then it's in self-denial that you will have that experience of him. And that's even what Jesus says, if you want to follow me, if you want to be with me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross. Because I, and the whole point of that is that I get to be with you. Okay, I'll do it. If I get to be with you, Jesus, then it's worth it. And you can hear in Paul's words, the gospel is all over this passage. It's all in Paul's mind. Look look at verse 9. For I I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. Now, he has this picture, this spectacle, and there's all these people watching him, and he's the last, and he's being sentenced to death, and all these people are watching, you're like, what is he talking about here? Well, let me, one commentator describes, this is actually an allusion to the the Roman Empire, uh, after military victories, This uh, this is what this commentator says, Paul's talking about. After a major military victory, Roman generals were given a grand parade through the streets of Rome. So after they win a big victory, they have this big parade. There's all these people lining the streets. The conqueror rode in a chariot near the front, followed by priests and uh, notables. The victorious army marched behind them. Then came wagons loaded with captured booty. At the very end, right? Paul says we were the last in this spectacle. At the very end were captives in chains, who at the conclusion of the parade route would be killed in a public sacrifice to the Roman gods. And Paul says, I, I think that's what's going on with me, <laughs> right? Paul wonders if God has formed such a parade and has placed the apostles at the end under sentence of death. And he's saying, this is, this is the life that, that, that God has for me. And then he goes on, what else does he say? Verse 11, to the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed, which means that we are half, half naked and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still are like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Let me ask you this. Who was made a spectacle by the Romans? Sentenced to death. Who was stripped naked when he was made a spectacle. Who was homeless? Who said, foxes have their holes and the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head? Whose words do these sound like? When we reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. Paul's whole imagination, his whole vision of the good life is shaped by Jesus and his cross. And Jesus crossed for him. Jesus had loved him and had given himself for him. And so why is Paul entering into a life of self-denial? Is it because he wants to be pious? He wants to be a righteous person? Righteous people deny themselves? No. It's because in self-denial, he knows Christ. And this is what he says in Philippians 3.8 and following. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. And listen to this. And may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. It is in self-denial that you meet Jesus and that's why it's worth it. That's why it's worth it. He's there. And whatever it is that God calls you to to sacrifice about your life and your desires, when you sacrifice, them, the Bible promises Jesus will be there. And you will will experience him, you will experience his love, and you will experience that you have Christ in you, that you do have abundant life already. And you're not enjoying it until we enter into a life of self-denial and find out that Christ is with us and that all God's promises are true. And so let me just ask you this as we close. What is your vision of the good life? What is your vision of the good life? Where is Jesus on that list? Let me just tell you all those other things, good blessings as they are, to make them the center of your picture of the good life will far abun- are, are, are not even close to the, the joy of knowing Christ and sharing in his life. And uh, we share in that life through self-denial. So let's pray together. Our Lord, uh, we thank you for this word, uh, for the challenge of it, uh, the hope of it. And um, I pray there are going to be things, even this week for us, where you call us in even small things to self-denial, to deny our rights, to deny pleasures for the good of others, for the love of others. I pray that you'd give us your spirit, that we would trust you to put your words into practice. And to find, indeed, that you are in us, you are with us, and that we do share in your life. Show us this truth, reveal it to us as a church, that we might love and sacrifice for one another, and that your name may be honored and glorified among us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.